God, I pray today, Father, that you would open our hearts, open our ears. God, that we would be able to come uh, to this passage of Scripture, Father, with just an openness, Father, that is from you. God, help us not to just read this and walk away from it, Lord, but that we would just really chew. Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid, God, of Scripture that's hard. Lord, I love, Lord, that when you sent Jesus, he didn't just say um, soft things. Lord, that he didn't just give us a bunch of fluff and, and then die on a cross, Lord, but that he came and spoke things and did things, Lord, that we look at and we're like, wow. And so, God, we come to this section of Scripture with humility. God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak today. Father, that you would speak every day. But Father, today, we want to hear from you, Father. So get me out of the way, Lord. Just speak, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, you guys remember, we looked through a pretty large chunk. We looked at the cost of discipleship, and then we went into the idea that the winds and the waves even obeyed Jesus, right? And so we're going to kind of like, that's where we left the disciples. They were in the middle of the sea, and the winds and the waves were tossing them all around. And where was Jesus? He was crashed out. He was sleeping right? Which speaks a lot to the fact that he doesn't need to be worried about anything, which tells us a lot because he's our daddy, right? He's dad, God. And so we don't need to be worried about a lot of things. But Jesus was there. The disciples were freaking out. They cried out to Jesus. The sea calmed and they were all just totally blown away, right? They even said this in verse 27 of chapter eight. It says, so the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So they, they, they don't really know who he is, but they were shocked. They stood in wonder. They were like, oh my gosh, he just told the sea to chill out, and it did, right? And so I want us to remember that because today we're going to continue to look at Jesus showing everybody, especially the few disciples he has at this point, right, that he's not just a, an ordinary fella, that he's bringing more to the plate than just humanity. And I think it's important as we're looking through this section because what was the point. Remember, way back when, when we started through Matthew, we talked about how God chose to write through four different people. We have four different gospels for a reason, right? They're all speaking of the same historical facts, but they're coming at it from angles to try to look at Jesus from different areas, right? And so Matthew, we know, was looking at Jesus as king. Jesus as king of this earth and Jesus as our eternal king. And so when we're looking through these sections and when we're talking about stuff today, I want you to keep that in mind because it's important. So let's start reading. We're going to read the whole chunk and then we're going to just kind of dig through it. Verse 28 says this. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. There's a lot going on here, but I want to talk about a few things because we actually see the same exact story in two other gospels, right? In the book of Luke, we're not going to flip there, 
But in chapter 8, 26 through 39, you guys, will, you can look at that story for you note takers. You can write that down. I would encourage you to go and look at that. We're going to actually flip over to the book of Mark. So if you guys want to join me there, Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read the exact same story from the book of Mark. And we're going to do this for a very important reason. I want you guys to listen as you read along with me. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling amongst the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to them, or to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened or what it was that it happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord had done for you, has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. So, did you guys hear some differences there? I want to talk a little bit about this particular passage of scripture, because have you guys ever heard of the term apologetics? So apologetics doesn't mean that we apologize. It means actually you're making an argument for something, right? And specifically within the biblical text is saying, I'm arguing that this is an accurate text. And, and right, and so people come against this passage of scripture all the time because they'll be like, oh, in the other gospel, it said there was uh, one guy and in, in Matthew, it says there are two, right? And so we see these things and critics like to point these out. And guys, I... As I prayed through this, I was like, Lord, is this what you want me to talk about? Is this really what you want me to discuss? And I feel like it was, and I'll tell you why. Because I feel like, guys, as a church, this should be a safe space like we talked about last week. This is a safe space. We've, we've taken this ground. And I don't want the church to be out in the world hearing things like this and have people be like, wait, what? It says what? Like, I'd rather you hear it for here. So we can talk about it. So we can look at it and discuss and say, what? What does this mean? Why are there differences here? When we read Mark and what we see in Luke, do you notice that it talks about one guy, but it never says there were not more than one guy. There wasn't more than one guy. So that's actually pretty easily answered. They focused on the one that had the most demons, 
right? Matthew actually just was like, there were two guys. One of them had a lot. They don't, he doesn't mention it. Why? It's not the point. The point that Matthew wrote from was, remember, showing Jesus as king. If King, if Jesus, King Jesus comes and says to any men, any number of people that, you know, you have a demon in you and I want you to leave, that doesn't that show his king, kinghood? Doesn't it show his authority and power? And so Matthew was just kind of giving us some parts of the story that were a little clearer. So we know now there are two men. We know that Mark and Luke, they just focused on the one guy that had the most demons in him, the legion, right? So that's kind of easily answered. Another thing I want to look at is that, did you guys notice that there were two different places that it said it was? In the book of Matthew, it says that they were uh, going to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes. And in Mark, if you guys remember, it said that they went to the other side, to the Gadarenes. Pretty similar names, huh? You guys, I'm going to get a little deep here. You guys ready? And I'm sorry if this is boring to you, but I just feel like it's important. We have a lot of manuscript evidence for the New Testament and for the Old Testament, like a lot, like so much more than any other ancient book. And it's important to remember that because we have like thousands and thousands and thousands. I'm going to give you the exact number uh, later, but we have thousands and thousands of documents of manuscript evidence for the New Testament. And, and they are like without fail historically much, much, much more accurate than any other book. Like you can read them side by side like this and be like, oh, they're the exact same. And remember, these were hand scribed by scribes. We do have a few within that little group or within that big group, there's a few, just a few that have Gadarenes instead of Gerasenes, or whatever it's called. What is it? Yeah, Gergesenes. So there's these few documents that have that. Guess when they were found? They were found after 1611. Do you guys know why that date's important? The King James and the New King James, which is using the exact same manuscript evidence, the exact same text, textual evidence, right, was using documents that we had found up to the point of 1611. As a matter of fact, the text, textual evidence is called the Textus Receptus, was something that was found and put together of all the texts that we knew about, all the manuscripts we knew about, was put together in like 1540-something or whatever. It was like in the 1500s. And so King James in England said, I'm going to write a Bible, a translation of the Bible, I'm going to commission it, and we're going to do it. And it was put together, and it's a great, great group of scriptures, right? It's a great King James. It's, it's well known. The New King James basically was rewritten from the same exact manuscripts, and all they did was they said, you know, nobody says ye and thee anymore, and they took it out. We use the New King James. If you guys are reading other, trans under other translations of the Bible that are newer than 1611, you might see in there that it says Gadarenes. Well, because we found, yeah, I see everybody. Now I know who doesn't read New King James. No, it's good. There's a lot of great translations out there, and here's the truth. We found a lot more textual evidence after 1611, and 99.999% of it is all the same, but the few that doesn't make sense are like, oh, what? There's just this one word that's different, and I want to point this out because, guys, I don't know about you, but to me, I feel like, listen, does that really matter? Because I want to point out something else for anyone that does have a new King James. I want you to look if you have a little concordance in the center or in the bottom maybe of your Bible. And you'll notice if you look up verse 28 on there, 828, it'll tell you this little note. It says NU, which stands for 
Yeah, it's a, tra- <laughs> it's a text of the Bible. Nestle Aland and, and the United Bible Institute, their texts they brought together, and it says Gadarenes. And so in these smaller groupings of texts, they actually found that it said Gadarenes in Matthew and not Gergesenes. Is this really boring to everybody? Well, it's important because guess what? People, critics want to come against you and say the Bible's not accurate. And I want to ask you a question. I tell everyone here that I lived in Philadelphia. Do you know where I actually lived whenever I lived down there? Phoenixville. If anyone's from around Philadelphia, they know that Phoenixville is not Philadelphia. But I'm not going to say Phoenixville because does anybody know where Phoenixville is? Does anybody know where Philadelphia is? So you say Philadelphia. The Decapolis was a group of 10 cities. If we can put up the map... You guys see this map? So Gergesa says right there beside the Sea of Galilee, which is what Matthew said it was. Gadara was about six miles south. And so do you see now that it's like me saying, well, I lived in Philly, and it's like, well, I live in Phoenixville, right? It's like, it doesn't really matter because the truth is, guys, the scripture, what's the important part of this scripture? It's that Jesus healed a demon-possessed person. That's the important part. Do you understand how absolutely ridiculous it is for them to be like, oh, well, it says two different places. Well, who cares? It doesn't matter, does it? Does that, would you call me a liar if I said I lived in Philadelphia? No. I don't even think people, well, maybe people in Philadelphia might be like, no, you didn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> but the point is, guys, whenever I first joined the military, I would tell people where I was really, really, really from, which is Landisburg. And I promise you, no one's heard of that town. It was 500 people. Nobody knows where I lived. And I lived outside of the town technically. So I was really, really, really back in the woods. So the point I'm making is, guess what I told everybody? I lived in Philly. Because nobody knows what the heck I'm talking about if I don't say that. So my point is, is that we do this all the time. And yet we're going to hammer on Matthew because, oh, he made a mistake. Well, no, he didn't. He just wrote down what was generally in the area, right? And it sounds very, very close. And so it's really not a big deal. And I want to point these things out. The other thing I want to point out is this. You can put that down now. Thanks. I want to give you guys an idea of what we're really talking about here. There are currently, as of the last record I could find, which was late 2018, 23,986 total manuscripts of the different parts of the New Testament. 23,986, and we're constantly finding more. Because guess what? Archaeology has boomed since 1611. It's gone up. We dig more. We find more. We're, not, we're destroying less because we have better technique, right? So we're finding more and more documents all the time. We're finding stuff all the time. The closest ancient book as far as manuscript evidence goes is Homer's Iliad. Do you know how many current manuscript uh, we have of that? And most of them are fragments. 643. And yet, scholars would tell you that Homer's Iliad is accurate. Very accurate. Which means that, guys, when people come up and they've done a little bit internet sleuthing and they think they've got some dirt on you, can, can you just know in your heart that scholars... Archaeologists, everybody uses this document, this 66 books written by 40 authors that was God-breathed through those folks as absolute fact. It is the most scholarly accepted truthful book in the world. Like, we've got to get our head around that. 
But I also want to say another thing. Last night, my wife and I were watching this documentary that's on Netflix about the Mormon church. And do you know that the Mormon church, I'm not trying to dog them out, I'm just being honest. They spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on documents that disagree with Joseph Smith, who lived a mere hundred and some years ago. And they buy them all up because why? Because they want to hide them. So that no one can know that Joseph Smith was a liar and was a false prophet. I don't want our church to be like, oh, I'm not going to talk about that. We're going to write. No, it's here. And I love that, you know, our, our scholarship, our, 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 our translation committees are willing to say, this is different. And we don't know exactly what to do about that, but we're going to put in a note that says, guess what? In some of the manuscripts, it says Gadarenes. That's okay, isn't it? Because again, what is the point? People were healed. They were, that Jesus took demons out of people. Do you understand how much more epic that is? It's like watching a fireworks show and someone being like, well, that one person that was setting off the fireworks, well, he was not qualified. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Everyone else is like, look at the fireworks. They're amazing. Yeah. And this one critic is like, yeah, but that guy. Really? Wow. You know? <laughs> the reality is, guys, is that our Bible is absolutely reliable. It's God breathed. God breathed this. And I'm okay if God in the autograph wrote down Gadarenes and Gadarenes. And some, some of these scribes that translated it were like, oh, maybe it's, uh, that, that, that's a long walk. Maybe it was this. I'm okay with that. It's a very tiny amount of the, of the scriptural evidence. But the fact, guys, that in our Bible, we actually mark that and make a note of it. I'm, I'm telling you this because I want you to know how to use your Bible. Check those things. If you see a number next to it, look it up. There's a reason they put that in there. And it's okay because you're, now you're knowing. Right now. So we're going to keep going. We talked about the fact that this was Decapolis. This was a 10-city area that the Roman emperor had kind of set up. And it was Gadara, actually, that map that we were looking at. Gadara was the capital of the Decapolis. And it was primary made, primarily made up of Gentiles with a few Jewish residents when, when, the, when Jesus was alive. So I want, I want to kind of think about that because Jesus took a six-mile detour to go and rescue two men, one of which had a ton of demons living inside of him. And, and, and he did that just because. I think that's pretty awesome. I think it speaks to me about us, doesn't it? Because it doesn't matter how far gone we are. It doesn't matter, guys, how deep in the weeds we are in sin. God will make a detour for us. He will come and find us and say, be healed, be clean. It says that he met these two men. And I want to talk about the fact that all of them say that they were living in a graveyard. Jewish Kind of the idea of the Jewish religion would say that, you know, you weren't allowed to touch dead things, especially if you're a Nazarite, you were definitely not allowed to touch a dead thing. But it was like this, they treated it very special, and they did that, and then they were unclean for so many days. So there's a lot going on here where if these two men, if they were Jewish, well, they were like, wow, you are like really out there. There was obviously something going on with you if you're living in a graveyard for anybody. But if you're Jewish, they were really blown away by that. But even if you're Gentiles, guys, who lives in graveyards? right? Like it's kind of odd, isn't it? But I want you to notice the fact that here these two men were demon-possessed. And where were they living? In a place of death. They slept amongst the dead. 
The demons made these men very violent. They were exceedingly fierce, Matthew says. The demons were destroying these men's bodies physically, and they were degrading them completely. Society had nothing to do with them. And this is exactly what sin does, and it's exactly what Satan wants to do with us. Isn't it? Just destroy us. This interaction, though, it gives us a lot of detail and a lot of insight about demons. First off, I want you to notice, remember we talked about verse 27 where the disciples that were on the boat were like, who is this guy that he can make the, the waves just stop and the wind chill out, right? Like, who is this guy? But notice the demons, they were exactly, completely, utterly aware of who Jesus was, right? They said, they're like, what have you to do? In verse 29, what have, you to do, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? They knew without a doubt that this was God in flesh. They recognized his authority. You guys, even the disciples weren't aware of that. They also knew that their time was coming when they were going to be sent permanently to hell. They're aware of that fact, which just shows the absolute arrogance to continue thinking that these created beings are going to somehow manage to take as much as humanity of humanity with them to hell as they can. Like, it's arrogant, isn't it? But that's what we're dealing with here. And they were asking Jesus, they're like, are you, are you coming here to torment us before our time? But I want you to also notice something else. They don't know exactly when that time is. They are not omniscient. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan can be at one place at one time. So when people say like, oh man, the enemy's eating my lunch. And they actually, and I've heard people be like, oh, I think Satan was totally against me today. I don't think so. I think it's probably some little tiny imp demon. I've talked about this before, right? That's just like, right? Like showing up and trying to like mess with you because I don't think Satan is bothering I think there's way more important people on this earth than me or any of us in here. I don't think Satan himself is showing up to bother us. I think he's sending some tiny little imp. Does that mean there's any less power there? No, demons are very powerful beings. And it's important to keep all those things in mind, but can I just warn us and tell us that I don't want to give the enemy any more authority or not authority, but any more press than he deserves? Because I think most of the time, if you're like me, I'm good at messing myself up right? I don't need to blame it on the enemy. You know, I'm like, oh man, the enemy made me say those words that made my wife really mad. No, I said those words that made my wife really mad. I didn't need an enemy. I didn't need the enemy to tell me how to do that. I just did it. I'm good at it, right? I'm good with my foot in my mouth. I'm good with all these things. And so when we look at these things, guys, it's, it's a fact that all these things were known. They knew who God was. They recognized that there was coming a time for them that they were going to go to hell as demons because they've made a choice. And I want to say something to us, is that there is coming a time for all of us when the earth will be judged. The book of Revelation makes that quite clear, doesn't it? And if you're here and you don't believe the facts, can I tell you, I want you to recognize that even Satan himself is not that naive. And it's important for anyone here that doesn't believe in Jesus to hear this. You can think that you've got it figured out. You can think any number of things, but I'm telling you, the truth of scripture is that we all have a choice to make. And that choice is either to accept the work that Christ did on the cross or to go to hell. And I don't like announcing that, but I'm just speaking truth. And I feel like it's ridiculous sometimes when you go out and you try to speak to people and you let them know like, dude, there's a choice to be made. And they're like, no, I think I'm good. I think God's going to totally accept me because I'm a good person. And I'm like, no, God made it quite clear how this works. And you've got to come alongside that. You can't choose it yourself. And people are that naive that they actually think, no, I think you're wrong. I think I'm right. 
it's not me that's right or wrong. It's the Bible, right? Like that's the, that's the point. And so listen, if someone's listening online, if someone's listening later to this on, on the website or whatever, I, I want to make it abundantly, absolutely, completely clear that you need Jesus or you've got nothing. It's just the facts. I want to also look at the fact that the demons know the authority and the power that God has because there were a legion of demons. If they actually thought that they were going to do anything, do you understand how they could be like, dude, it's 100 to 1. We're going to get you, Jesus. And yet they recognize, no, we've got nothing. We're not even going to bother trying. And we also know that this man is under your protection. And so we're going to be coming out of him. So I'm going to ask, can we go somewhere else? Can you send us somewhere else instead of just letting us float around? Right? Out in outer darkness. And so here we go. And he says, can we go somewhere else? They say that. And so he enters these pigs and these little piggies. They went, wee, 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 right off a cliff. And they all died. And I want to point out the fact that how did these two men end up demon-possessed? How did we get there? This is a, another point that, again, I was praying really hard this week for this message because, guys, these are things that are not easy to talk about. But I, I've been getting a lot of questions lately, like, can I be demon-possessed from Christians? Is that a possibility? That's questions I get, you know? And I feel like it's important, and people come up and they ask good, hard questions about the Bible sometimes too. Like, I noticed it says this here, this passage of Scripture was brought up to me a few weeks ago, and it says something different in Mark. And so I think it's important for us to talk about these things. So the question is, first off, a lot of people, even in the church sometimes, will say, like, demon possession was something of the past. We've grown past this now. We, we understand way more about psychology, and we understand way more about these other things. But can I tell you, I know a fair number of people that are psychologists that'll say that there's sometimes, yes, it is something, epilepsy is something that we deal with. And, and so we, yes, that happened sometimes. But can I say that I believe what Scripture says? And so if it says it's demon possession, it's demon possession, number one. And number two, demon possession is not dead Demons suddenly haven't stopped. You know, they haven't suddenly said, I'm not going to do that no more. That's out of vogue, right? No, they still want to possess. They still want to take. They still want to do. They want to be engaged in the most destructive way possible. It's what demons want to do. So the question becomes then is this, is it something of the past? I don't think so. I want to look at a few different things, two different things actually, that I am personally aware of in my lifetime of places, and, and, and some of this is in, in America and in another country where they're, they do anything they can to avoid de demons, to avoid all this stuff. So even though they might say like, oh, I don't quite 100% grab onto Christianity, they still believe that there's demonic forces and there's things going on. So if we can look at the first one, this is actually a Amish hex, Pennsylvania Dutch hex. You'll see these a lot. I'm sure you guys from Philly have seen these all over barns everywhere. The Amish and the Mennonites put these up, and what this is designed to do is to ward off demons from the farm and from the people. And this is, these are everywhere. And yes, they are more decoration now, but I know plenty of Amish people where I grew up, and a lot of them still have a belief that, yes, we need to put these up. When we do a barn raising, these things get slapped on the side right away to protect. So this is something that is still very real in America today. The next thing I want to look at is when I was stationed in Japan, in Okinawa specifically, this is right out front. This is the male Shisa dog. 
that's right out front on the right side of the gate. And then there's a female on the left and they're always in pairs. And you'll see these everywhere, all over Japan. But this is right outside of an American base. And you'll notice the male has his mouth open and the female has her mouth closed. And the male is meant to scare away demons. And the female is meant to hold in good spirits. This stuff is real. It's happening. Do they completely understand what they're messing with? No, they don't. All the time when I was over in Okinawa, the people would they Shinto is the primary religion in Okinawa, Japan, which is the worship of their ancestors. And so they would hear, it was really horrible because during the month of Ubang, I lived right beside a graveyard and you would hear like these little instruments like bang, 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 bang. And then all these drums, doom, 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 like two in the morning. It was wonderful, right? Loved it, never got any sleep. I would actually go to work and sleep sometimes just to be away from it. But the point is, is during that month, they believe that they get to commune with their ancestors. And so what do they do? They buy a lot of beer or alcohol to get as drunk as absolutely humanly possible so that then they can see their ancestors. And I want to promise you something. People see things over there, but they're not seeing humans or ancestors. They're seeing demons. The fact is, guys, is that this stuff is real. And people mess far too often with it. Ouija boards are a real thing. I'm not here to freak everybody out, but I'm just saying there are things that we should not mess with. As believers especially, we should never mess with it. But the other cool thing is, is as a believer, guess what? The Holy Spirit's dwelling inside of us. And that's the key that I want to get at here. If you're here today and you're a believer and you wonder, can I be possessed? The answer is absolutely no. Absolutely not. You can't be. The truth is, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 John 4.4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The truth is, is the Holy Spirit of Christ dwells in you the moment you accept what Christ did on the cross. That's what the Bible tells us. That the, that the Holy Spirit indwells you. And, and I want to tell you guys something, a really important truth. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring in a demonic roommate. He's not going to allow it. Is he? Right? It makes sense, doesn't it? Like the Holy Spirit, dude, God, the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in you is not going to be like, mm, sure, there's a little side room there. No, it's not true. It's not going to happen. And so do not walk around in fear of what they can do. They can oppress you, but they cannot totally possess you. There's a difference. They can, they can mess with you, right? And they do sometimes, but they cannot come and take possession of you. But I also want to say this. If you're hearing you're not a believer, they can do that. And if you're messing around with Ouija boards and you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, you're opening yourself up to that kind of stuff. And I have a lot of friends that did a lot of stuff and I, I trust these friends, and I, I know that they're not crazy people, and they're not, they're not just making stuff up. And I'm telling you that they would be like, oh, we were doing, there were some guys in the room, and they were messing with a Ouija board, and I saw this girl in Civil War clothing walk by the hallway as I was walking up the stairs, and I'm like, whoa. And so I went into the room to be like, whoa, I just saw something. And guess what? They're all like, dude, shut up. We're talking to a little girl from the Civil War. There's stuff that happens, guys. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. If you know unbelievers, encourage them not to mess with it. But the truth is, is that we need to be aware of these things because the fact is, there are real 
times in life that cannot be explained by psychology, that cannot be explained. If anybody's done any homeless ministry, you guys, I've seen this stuff. You see things. You hear people speak in a very low voice that is freaky, that you're like, that's not you. And one, it's not, at, it's not when you're giving them food, when you're just doing normal things, it's when you start saying the name of Jesus. And that stuff changes in a hurry. And that stuff happens. And so we need as a church, guys, to be aware because guess what? Next week, we're going to be talking about it. We're taking ground. When we take ground, the critics are going to come out and start saying, this thing that you say you believe is garbage. And you need to understand that it's not. That this is the word of God and it's not. When we start taking ground, we may come across things that are unexplainable. Maybe. Maybe. We need to be ready for that stuff and trust the fact that, hey, what is in me is greater than what is in the world. Right? I'm also not a fan of the whole, like, let's stomp on the devil. No, I'll let God do that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just coming at things and recognizing, like, listen, God, I need your help here. God, I don't know what's happening here. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to deal with this? And Lord willing, you guys, we won't ever come across something like that. But can I tell you that as a young kid, a 19-year-old kid, that was the first time that's ever happened to me. I was so thankful that we had one of the professors from the college that was along with us that just began to pray over that man, and it got crazy. And we were just all praying with him. But that kind of stuff can happen and, and is real, and I think we need to understand that. I want to say this final thing, and this message, guys, I'm sorry, this is totally crazy, but it's just one of those things that I really felt like the Lord laid on my heart for today, and I don't know what that means for the future or any of this, but I feel like the Lord just wants us to talk about the fact that we have a good God that gave us a good word, and that what we find out in the world cannot hurt us. It cannot hurt us. But for those of us, that, for those that we're dealing with that don't know him, the reality is, guys, is it's that much more important for us as believers to tell others about Jesus. Because the truth is, is that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I want you guys to get your head around that. Every knee, meaning every demon's knee, meaning Satan's knee, meaning everyone's knee will bow. Everyone. They're all going to bow and be like Jesus. But do you get it? The demons aren't going to be down there like, oh, I finally believe. No, they're going to be like still in utter defiance. That's where their heart is and will always be. That's why they're going to hell. But guys, we have a choice here on earth. And so we need, guys, to understand that every knee will bow. And it's important for us to let others know about Jesus. It's not, it is literally life and death. It's literally like, where will you spend eternity? Because death is only a moment of time. You understand? We live this life and it's a blip on the radar. We die and then eternity. You will continue on. Where do you want to spend it? It's important for us to get our head around this. The last thing I want to talk about is this. What do we see at the end? The bacon tenders got all freaked out. Yes, I called them bacon tenders because that's what pigs are for, right? Bacon. The bacon tenders, they got all messed up and freaked out and they ran away. Why? Well, I guess I would too if I just saw a man that I know talking to a person and that person goes like that and they go away and all of a sudden all the you know, pigs go wee, wee, wee right off a cliff. If that happened, I think I'd be like, what just happened? 
what is going on? And so they went back and they told everybody. We read in Mark, right, that they show up and they saw the one that was, that was, you know, had legion in him, the one man. I don't know if the other guy just was healed and went away. We don't know. But whatever happened, they saw the one guy in his right mind, clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. God changed him. He touched his life. His whole life was transformed radically. And the truth is, guys, is that they went back and they told the people in the city about it. And they included the fact that, yeah, this, that these men that were walking in the tombs and sleeping in the tombs, now they're walking in this freedom. They're, they're normal. And yet, our pigs just died. And the people came from the city, and what did they do? Told them to leave. Why? Well, let's look at a few things. They lost a lot of income. 2,000 pigs, I'm sure, weren't cheap back then. 2,000 pigs nowadays aren't cheap. They lost a lot of income. And I want you to notice something else, and we see this more clearly in Mark. Here they are. They noticed this guy, but notice they, they didn't really care about him. They weren't concerned about the person that God touched. They were only worried about their income. They were worried about what it did in impacting them. And I believe they were more concerned about how much more Jesus was going to come in and change things. And they didn't like that. And guys, I want to say something to us, is that when we're changed by God, there's going to be some around us that don't like what they hear because they don't want to hear that now you're a different person, right? They liked you better when you were sinning in, in all these areas, whenever you didn't really have any moral compass, when you weren't really aiming after God. When you were doing that, they liked you better because you went out to the bar with them and you did whatever you were doing before. There's going to be people like that. There's going to be some that just don't want to deal with the decay and the rot in their own heart. Because there is nothing more powerful than a testimony of like, dude, you know me. You know who I was. You know it. And you know what God's doing in my life. You know it better than anybody because you knew me before. And there are some people, I had friends like that when I got saved that were like, yeah, they don't want to deal with it. They just didn't want to deal with it. And there'll be some that just don't want to see anything change because it may force them to look at the real reality of their own life. They might, there's just like no change at all. And they might drop you. Those are all realities when people come to the Lord. Aren't they? But there will be some that will see the change in you and want to know more. And there'll be some that'll recognize in themselves that there's something missing and they're going to look at you and say, you got something that I want. Like that's, that's reality. All those things are true. And the fact is, is that even though all those are true, guess what? We don't get to choose how people react to God, but we also don't get to choose of who we're going to talk to about God. And so when we're out in our workplace, we live our lives for the Lord. When we're out with friends, we talk about Jesus. We live our lives for the Lord because it's more, way more important than if someone doesn't like you suddenly, isn't it? Like, I would rather know for a fact that when I get to heaven, and I, I pray this is true, and it probably, I don't know, right? But I, I want to get to heaven and have God be like, you know, everybody that you interacted with knew where, I, knew where you stood. Everybody that you interacted with was confronted with some type of a choice. I can't control what they choose. We can't do that. We can't, we can't look at any human being and force them into the kingdom of God. I wish we could. I would shove my six-foot-two brother through that hole so fast. He wouldn't even know what hit him. But we can't do that. 
We can't do any of those things, but what we can do is never, ever, ever back off. Never, ever, ever stop saying, yes, Lord, I'm gonna answer the call to tell others about you. What we can do, guys, is if God's calling us to, go six miles out of our way to deal with somebody that God wants us to deal with just to come back, even if it's inconvenient. Like, do do we really recognize how life and death this really is for people? I think sometimes we don't. And I think it's important for us to recognize that there is real demons out there doing real harm to people. And there are real things happening in this world that we need to deal with. And you know what? I'm not going to get sidetracked by some stupid little thing in there that someone wants to point out. I don't like arguing with people, but I will have real good discussion with people if they want to grow. That's the thing, right? Like apologetics is great if you're talking to people that are really open to hear what you have to say. Apologetics is pointless if you're talking to a person that already has their mind made up then you're just arguing and it's not worth the argument. But I want to, I want to get, make it clear here guys that last week we talked about the fact that this place was a citadel, that this ground is already taken and that this place here, we are the church, the people, not the place. The building is just a place that we meet and it's a safe place. It's a safe place for us to sing off key and sing our faces off to the Lord, which by the way, come to the hymn night tonight. Just let it rip. Give it to God, seriously. I'm encouraging you to come. It's also a safe place, guys, to come and, and ask questions. And it's safe to not have it all together and have it all figured out. I went through a lot of college, and I can tell you this Bible is still as much of a mystery to me sometimes as before. College and education and all that stuff, it's good, but it's not gonna get you the answers you're looking for because Jesus is always growing us. And this is a place for that. And today, guys, we covered some pretty chewy stuff. Some stuff that we got to actually like chew on. We can't, it's not milk. We can't just drink it down and be like, oh yeah, God's good. Love it. It's chewy stuff. It makes you start thinking about like, man, what kind of interactions am I having when I'm out on the street? And Lord, are you ever going to put that in front of me? Because that sounds really scary, right? Or whatever that is, the stuff that we've got to cover and deal with. But the truth is, is I want to encourage you to not be afraid in this church to ask questions of those around you. The only stupid question is the unasked one. There's no stupid questions. If you're coming with a heart to want to learn, I promise you God will meet you and he will answer it. And so don't feel silly or scared here in this little citadel to ask questions, to ask for understanding, to seek understanding, because none of us here, none of us here have it all figured out. And if you think you do, well, you got another problem, some pride. Right? So like the fact is, is that we should all be here ready and willing to say, Lord, I don't get this part. Lord, I don't, I don't quite get what this means. And be willing to go to another brother or another sister and ask those questions. So if you're here today and you're not absolutely secure that you know the Lord, that you know, that you know, that you know that you're going to heaven, there's going to be people standing up front here during the last song. And if you don't know that, if you're not 100% secure, listen to me. This is the most important few steps you'll ever make to come up here and meet with one of us and talk. And so I want to encourage you here. If you're not a believer, if you don't know that you know that you know, please come up. It is literally life and death. It is that important, guys. I'm not making this dramatic. I'm just telling you the truth. The Bible tells us that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe with all your heart all of your being, that Jesus 
died and rose again to save you from your sin. If you've done that, you're saved. So you don't have anything to worry about. But if you've never done that, guys, then come up. Last thing I want to say is if you have any questions or concerns or you're like, man, I don't even know what to think about this. Or if you're just like, dude, I'm hurting right now. The front is for that. The front of this sanctuary, I want to... I want it to be that place, guys, that we can come up and just spend time with the Lord, spend time before the cross. That's what I want. And so if that's you today, there will be people up here. Please come up. Don't waste the opportunity. If you're online, I want to encourage you to do something. We, you can say the prayer like I've told you. You know, you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You just say a prayer. Some people's salvation prayer was as simple as like, Jesus, I believe what you did for me. Will you, will you, will you take me? It doesn't have to be formulaic. It doesn't have to be a certain type. But if you don't know that or you're not comfortable with that, can I encourage you to get online to greatbaycalvary.com. If you're, if you're watching online, if you're listening later, get online to greatbaycalvary.com and click the contact us button and say, I want to know more about Jesus. I would love to meet with you. I would love to talk with you. There are plenty of people here that can just talk with you about those things, the most important decision you ever make. You guys, this message was a little different. I pray that whoever was, it was for, whoever was supposed to hear these things, that it was an encouragement and that you feel set at ease. For those of you that already knew it, well, it's a good refresher. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.